This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Seek Reality Radio with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about your reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here is Roberta. There's one reality. There's only one. Mainstream science and mainstream religions can help us get a little bit closer to understanding the one reality in which we live, but neither of them really gets the whole picture. Our one reality encompasses not just this material universe, but also the very much greater levels of reality where our dead loved ones reside. For all we know, there's a lot more, but that's what we're focusing on now, just where we live now and where they live. So perhaps it's not surprising that our best witnesses as to what's actually going on are the dead. The dead have been giving us abundant and consistent information for nearly 200 years. And now finally, at the start of the 21st century, we're finally able to put what they're telling us together with quantum physics and consciousness research and begin to understand our one reality and use what we're learning to wonderfully transform our lives. The core fact of your life and mine is... You are an eternal being. You are eternal. You never began and you never will end. And really knowing that changes everything. My name is Roberta Grimes. You're listening to Seek Reality on the Contact Talk Radio Network. And every week at this time, we'll be spending an hour together working to better understand the one glorious reality in which we live. Today, we don't have a guest, so it's just you and me. We're going to be finishing what we began on our July 6th program when we talked about the death process. We ran out of time. There's a lot to say about death. So we're going to sort of tell the rest of the story today. We're going to talk about what comes after death. This, uh, for a long time, was the great unknown. This is an area where, where a lot of fear resides, and there should be no fear. What I'm going to tell you today is not my speculation. I've spent my life reading communications from the dead, the people who are there, the people who know. Now, the best communications actually came over between the late 19th and the middle of the 20th centuries. They're old. Most people don't even know about them. And yet the people who were doing the research then thought they were doing cutting-edge science, so they asked some very good questions. And if you read enough of them, you understand a few things. Number one, they're all consistent they're consistent. It's impossible for them not to be real if hundreds and hundreds of them are all telling essentially the same story. In my book, The Fun of Dying, I, I say reading them begins to be like reading a couple of hundred years worth of communications letters from people who had been to Fiji. They've, they've all had different experiences and they were there over a long period of time, but you begin to realize they were all in the same place. And the same thing is true when we read communications from the dead. So what I'm telling you is true. It's fact. And it's validated, in fact, by a, a witness 2,000 years ago who said he knew what he was talking about. And 
basically said things about God, reality, death, and the afterlife that we couldn't confirm for 2,000 years, and that, of course, is Jesus. He said all this in the Gospels, and that was the reason I wrote The Fun of Dying. I said, whoa, yeah, I, I'm sure it's true because all the, the dead are telling us all this stuff, but there's a witness, and we've got consistent um, custody of, the, of his words for 2,000 years. We know they were changed a little, but not a lot. And there's no better validation than that. I don't care if his name was Joe Smith. He said things that turn out to be true. I believe both Jesus and the afterlife evidence are real. So let's talk about it. As we know, all the afterlife levels exist exactly where we are. In fact, there's really no such thing as space, objectively, and there's no such thing as distance. So, in fact, your mind is like a TV set. Right now, it's tuned to the reality, this level of reality channel, and to that particular body, in fact, on this level of reality. That's why you think you're on a, a material level. That's the only reason. Your, your mind is tuned to this level. It's just as if it were on a TV channel. When you die, it's just as if your mind tunes to a slightly higher vibratory level and you pick up a whole new solid reality. It's different. The material aspects of the afterlife are different than here, uh, and they tell us what in what ways they're different, but they also tell us that's what's real. This is the illusion. So that kind of makes your eyes cross when you think about it. So with that sort of background, let's plunge into what actually happens when we die. Now, the first thing that happens is you, you've got to get your body to the point where it can't support life any longer. Usually that's an illness or, or it's a, uh, uh, just being very old. Sometimes, though, it, it's an accident. Um, whatever it is that causes your body to no longer be viable, your mind begins to prepare to leave it. Now, it can be thrown out. If you're in a very violent accident, you can find yourself standing beside a car that looks wrecked and something that looks like your body is munched in there. Um, if that happens, you've probably had a, what's really a very rare event, an unplanned death. Call for help. In your mind, you don't have to say it aloud. Just say, help, help, I seem to be dead. And immediately, immediately, you will have people around you taking care of you. Um, they, they, often it's a very advanced being or two. They'll look like angels to you. They'll be glowing and tall and thin. And they'll apologize. We're so sorry you end up out of your body um, unexpectedly and we weren't here to greet you. Uh, believe it or not, that's what people actually say. They, they had these people apologizing to them. But for most of us, what's, what's going to happen is that we'll start to, our bodies will start to, to lose their ability to hold on to our mind, and, and our mind will start to tune to a little bit higher level of, of vibration. As that happens, we'll be able to perceive dead loved ones. This having deathbed visitors come to, to take us away apparently is universal in a death that's planned. And almost all our deaths were planned. Before we were born, we planned two or three exit points. We chose to take one, and, uh, and here we are at this, at this juncture. They seem to appear in the upper corners of the room. And if you're around a person who's dying, who's perhaps a day or two from death, you'll often see them gazing at the upper corners of the room and not talking to, to living people. They're talking in their mind with their deathbed visitors. Sometimes they'll actually come into the room and walk around and talk. They all look young, they look healthy, they look happy. And the minute you see the first one, 
a solid your your mother the way she looked at 35 look at but she's solid and she's happy and she's the minute you see her you suddenly realize you know i know that there's no such thing as death that's the great illusion and suddenly now i understand that i'm fine it sometimes these these visits start even a week or two ahead often they start in just the hours before death it's said that within a few hours before he died, Steve Jobs was talking to his family or, or communicating with them, and suddenly his eyes lifted and looked beyond them, and he said, Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And those were his last words. Um, apparently, that was something that his sister said, or, or steps, someone said um, at his memorial service. That's the kind of thing that happens. Usually, then, they're the, the the attention of the person who's dying focuses on you know the visitors the people who have come to take him or her away and they they stop usually communicating with the living at that point that's a good thing um, you know they're safe and they're in good hands people who are go who go through the de- death process tell us that it sort of feels as if um, they're they're withdrawing into the core of their body from their hands, from their feet, <laughs> gradually gathering in their chest and head area. And then they just leave out through the chest or head. If you're in the room, you might see what looks like a, a, a mist, a little sort of almost shapeless mist. And sometimes you'll see it form into a naked person. As soon as you realize you're naked, by the way, you, your mind clothes you, so you don't stay naked for long. But you're still connected to your body by what we call a silver cord which is basically an energy cord, and it's the only reason your body is still alive. So you might stand there or lie facing above your body, facing down for, for a little bit of time, but then that silver cord that's been so strong that has sustained your body for the whole of your, your earthly life is now sort of fraying and weak, and it usually just disintegrates. That's the moment of death. That's a moment of danger. If you remember nothing else from our conversations, please remember this. When you leave your body, you're suddenly going to feel terrific. You had thought you were in this dying body, and suddenly now you're whole and young and healthy, and you feel wonderful. You feel invincible. Your mind is very powerful, and you feel great. But around your your bed are people who love you and they're saying, oh my goodness, I think he died. I think she, oh, feel her pulse. Oh my goodness. People people you love are grieving all of a sudden and the temptation is to try to comfort them. Don't try that. Because if you do, you may lose your ability to perceive your visitors. That's why they're there. They will crowd around you. They'll say, we're going to take you someplace wonderful. Leave with them. As you leave with them, as you look back, you'll see the room you were in start to seem vague and vapory, sort of the way you would think that the afterlife would seem from here. Well, it, you begin to see it sort of turn into gray mist, they tell us, and disappear. It, the transition point almost never, um, uh, the transition almost never involves a tunnel and a light. Um, that's something we'll talk about when we talk about uh, near-death experiences, but that seems to be uh, a rescue vehicle, a rescue device. A normal death usually involves a period of transition that's very short, perhaps going through a mist. You're basically between channels. The mist clears, and you have, of course, your loved ones around you who rescued you. The mist clears, and you find yourself in a beautiful place. There are 
about seven levels of after-death reality. Uh, the very lowest one is not pleasant. Um, it's what Jesus called the outer darkness. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, toward the end of our time together today. Uh, most of us don't go there, uh, but it's not pleasant. A little above that is level two. That's like a, you might think of it almost as a purgatory level. It's better, but it's still not great. Levels three through five are a beautiful earth-solid place. Gorgeous. It looks like the earth, but perfect. Most of us, I think, enter at level three, and we enter in a garden, and it's a garden of permanent flowers and colors we can't imagine because they're beyond the visible light spectrum. It's just exquisite, intensely green. Apparently, there's a lot of green there, a lot of foliage. No, no leaf ever drops, nothing ever fades, nothing ever dies. It's beautiful. Level four is above that, and if you're more advanced, you might go in there, but usually we enter, I think, at three because... That's where most people seem to be in terms of their, their spiritual development. We want to have our loved ones around us. Level four, as I say, is more advanced spiritually. Level five is quite advanced. Really beautiful palaces, just exquisite. To go above level five, we start to really not have much that's material, apparently. Level six is what's called the causal or mental level. Um, our friend Mikey, Carol's son, Mikey died at 20, and he is a level six being. He says that they call it the teaching level. And it's from there that people uh, come down into the lower levels and teach us, or come to the earth and teach us. So that's level six. Level seven is what's called the source level or the celestial level. Um, I don't know whether people can go there. You'd have to be extraordinarily advanced. I don't know if you ever leave it. That's where all the light comes from. The light that I saw when I had an experience of light when I was eight years old, the light they see at the end of the tunnel, this extremely beautiful diffuse white light that fills the afterlife levels, it all comes from the source level. Um, maybe that's God. I don't know. But that's how the, the afterlife is configured. And they're all in the same place. Each sort of increase in vibratory rate of your mind, if you're able to achieve it, if you're at that, at that level of spiritual development, each one of them will bring you to a new level uh, or, or a gradation inside those levels. I, don't, I think it's more like uh, a rainbow than it is like changing channels. There, there, it doesn't seem to be a click that happens. It's just that we were able to do more and more and more spiritually as we become more spiritually advanced and achieve a higher growth level. So, all right, we're at level three. We've just entered. We're in a beautiful garden. Um, we could do a variety of things. Uh, we're, we're going to have two experiences pretty quickly. But what happens to us immediately is very, very much determined by who we are and what we want to do. We might just want to spend time with our loved ones. They might take us to a house they've built for us. Typically, the first spouse to die will, will build the family's favorite house there. Sometimes they don't get it perfectly right. There, there are complaints from wives, because usually the husbands went first. There are complaints from wives about what the husband got wrong about the house. But um, we live in houses there. They're solid. Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. And he was right. They're all over the place. But it is each of the afterlife levels is huge. They're much bigger than here. So they're much, much, much less crowded. And travel there is by thought. We have to learn to do it. It doesn't seem to be something. When we get there, we're really, really rookies. But we can learn fairly quickly to travel by thought, which means we just say, mm, I want to go to see so-and-so, or I want to be in a certain place, or do, do, do something. I want to hear an Elvis concert. 
and our minds will take us immediately to where whatever it is we want to have happen is happening. Wonderfully convenient, actually, don't you think? I mean, so then people, when I say this and when I'm giving talks, people will say, well, I want a car. Why can't I have a car? Well, you can. You can walk. You can have a car. You can have a boat. You can have a helicopter. You can have these material things if you want them, and you can use them to travel around. There doesn't seem to be a limit to what you can do. It's as if this is R&R. The, the life you live on Earth is really tough duty, and you're being taken care of. You're being uh, a sort of uh, rehabilitated in this period after death. So pretty much whatever you want is what you're going to be able to have, um, assuming it's positive. I, I suppose if you wanted to, uh, to hold a war or something, they'd probably talk you out of that. But people have fun. Um, people, um, oh, <laughs> I've actually gotten a question, which I'm going to answer when we come back. We're going to break briefly. Um, this is a topic that I could probably talk about for days, and I'm going to try to foreshorten it some, so to fill it, fit it all in. But I promise you, if we if we don't um, if we don't get through everything, we, we'll do a third one of these. Uh, this is a very important topic. It's at the core of every what everybody really worries about, and there's nothing to fear. We'll be right back. When she was eight, Roberta Grimes had an amazing experience of light. She spent the next 50 years researching the afterlife to try and understand what had happened to her. And the result is her book, The Fun of Dying. Find out what really happens next. Roberta's book is cliff notes to 200 years of abundant and consistent afterlife evidence. It will show you why extinction is impossible for you, explain how you can enjoy the death process, and describe for you in wonderful detail the glorious heaven that awaits us all. Available on Amazon in Kindle and in print, The Fun of Dying will start you on a thrilling and life-affirming voyage as you learn the glorious truth about who you really are. If you'd like to talk about some of the things that are discussed on Seek Reality Radio, come and join the welcoming community at afterlifeforums.com. Roberta and Andrew manage afterlife forums in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. If you are very ill, if you have lost a loved one, or if you just wonder about these topics, come and join the fun at afterlifeforums.com. I'm Roberta Grimes, and you're listening to Seek Reality on the Contact Talk Radio Network. And what we're talking about today is the wonderful period right after death. It's the, it's the most fun. That's why my book is called The Fun of Dying. The most fun you could possibly imagine is and all good news, and it's all wonderful. And um, the, my, my wonderful technician asked me uh, by, by Skype, um, what, 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 if you had, what if you had more than one, one spouse? What would happen then? And that's a really good question. My mother-in-law asked it of me shortly before she died at the age of 94. 
Um, she had had a house husband who died many years ago, and she'd been married for almost 50 years to a second spouse. What happens then? And what seems to be the case is it's up to you. Um, in my mother-in-law's case, when I communicated with her after death, what I heard was she had seen her first husband, but they had both moved on so much that she was living with her second husband. Um, but maybe they would all live together. Maybe she'd live with none of them. It seems to be the case that there isn't a rule about any of this. Um, many people will live for a time with the family that, they, that they're comfortable with. Many of them will not want to do that. They'll want a fresh start. They'll, they'll have other people they want to be with. And there's no, uh, there's, there are no shoulds. Uh, there's nothing, the, the people that you supposedly are dissing are, aren't going to mind. Because what's, what's important there is the freedom of your mind. You're getting better from what's been a tough thing, which is living in, uh, uh, in a, what, what you will come to realize is a horrendously difficult situation, and that's this earth life. This is tough school. This is like reform school. We're learning to love. We're learning to forgive under the hardest possible circumstances. So after you die, school is out, and it's time to play. First, we have two experiences, though. We all seem to have these experiences. They're universal. We have a party, and we go through judgment. Sometimes I talk about the party first, and sometimes I talk about the judgment. But let's get the judgment out of the way. Yeah, there's a judgment day. It comes for each of us. It's called a life review. Um, what seems to ha- and it can happen in your in, in a room in your house. Uh, it can happen. It happens wherever they think you're going to be best able to go through it because it's not easy. What happens is you will get to experience almost as a hologram every event of the life just passed. And you'll experience it not just from your perspective. You'll experience it from the perspective of every person you have ever affected, for good or ill. Everybody. There is no objective time there. So I, I would imagine reliving your life would, from everybody's perspective is going to take some time. But it, people don't notice that it takes time. They just notice how painful it is. It's painful because... What they say is the big things, the time they robbed the bank, the time they hit their child, those things they're, they're prepared for. They're kind of steeled against those things. And so they're not as bad to go through, again, from the other person's perspective as you'd think. But the part that's really painful is seeing how many times you hurt someone's feelings or how many times you, you passed up the chance to say or do some little kind thing. That's tough. And they, you know, you need help to get through it. Your guides are there. People you love who can help you sometimes are there. Uh, and they're not there to judge you. They're there to basically say to you, okay, well, you learned from that. Or, yeah, that was, that was unfortunate. Sorry you have to experience that again. But as you go through it, and at the end, you're asked to forgive everyone. Everyone who ever affected you. Everyone who ever hurt you. That awful first husbands, your mother-in-law, everybody, you're asked to forgive them. The guard in the camp at Auschwitz who killed you and your family, you're asked to forgive them all. And I have never, in decades of reading all this afterlife evidence, seen the slightest bit of evidence that we don't always forgive. We always forgive. We forgive easily. We forgive immediately. And so if that's going to happen, you may as well forgive now 
you're going to forgive them. I don't care who cheated you. I don't care how lousy people were to you. You're going to forgive them after you die. So you may as well do it now and give yourself the peace of having forgiven them and not thinking anymore about what, who has wronged you. That's the easy part. The hard part is then they say, okay, now you've got to forgive yourself. That's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done, or so they tell us. But you have to do it. I've come to see life on earth as preparation for that moment when you've got that hardest duty of all. You've got to forgive yourself for having fallen so short of what you would have wanted to do with your life. I don't mean, I don't mean achievements. I mean learning to love, learning to forgive, learning to care. You've got to forgive yourself then. So A, of course, forgive, learn to forgive yourself now, but B, learn to forgive everybody else because then it'll be a little easier for you to go easy on yourself. And, and no, no self-justification seems to be possible then. I mean, you and I know why we did these nasty little secret things, but apparently that doesn't work once we're dead. Here's why you have to forgive yourself then. If you don't forgive yourself, you, your, your vibratory rate starts to lower. You enter it at level three, and you're probably maybe in a level four being. You're, you're an advanced spiritual being, but if you don't forgive yourself, what seems to happen is your spiritual vibratory rate starts to lower. Maybe you aren't comfortable anymore at level three. People tell us to try to be in a higher spiritual level than the one to which you are suited by your spiritual development to try to do that is almost like trying to breathe when when you can't breathe it becomes the air is 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 somehow at war with you there and you and yeah and we by the way our bodies are nourished there by breathing so you do breathe there but the uh, you're no longer able to breathe at level three you could you know only can maybe be comfortable at level two well that's a much less pleasant place forgive yourself then for heaven's sake because if you don't the next stop is the bottom floor the which jesus called the outer darkness it's cold, it's dark, it's smelly, and as he said, it's full of wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's hell. I have never seen any instance of anybody, no matter what they did, ever being judged by God. And Jesus says that, by the way. Jesus says, God, God doesn't judge us. He's entrusted all judgment to the Son just so that they may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. A little bit later, he says, as for me, I judge no one. You know, there's a little, he was a little tricky about that, and he had to be that way because uh, he was trying to stay alive long enough to tell us these truths before they killed him, which they eventually did. Because it was punishable by death when Jesus walked the earth to talk against the prevailing religion. So he had to be sneaky. That's why he taught in parables. That's why he did these other things. But you are your judge. You're your executioner. God doesn't judge you. Jesus doesn't judge you. There's no panel that judges you. There's often a panel, by the way, around, um, especially if you're a more advanced being. There's often a panel of elders there, but they're there purely to help you and get you through it. And I have to tell you, just parenthetically, when I real first understood all this, boy, did I clean up my act. Whoa. Um, I don't, I think to really understand the different field you're playing on than you ever imag- imagined, they're playing on an eternal field and you're going to judge yourself, it really does make you put your act together in a different way. But if you end up on the afterlife, uh, the lowest afterlife level, which is um, the uh, outer darkness level, 
you can't get out of there apparently on your own. You, you, you're miserable. You're basically are punishing yourself. You're surrounded by demons and you're a demon. You look like one. You act like one. Everybody is ugly. It's cold. It's dark. It's smelly. It's disgusting. They're beating up on each other. But of course, they can't kill or even wound each other because they're, they have no physical bodies. It's, it's horrible. One of the things you do when you're first, uh, when you first arrive there, sometimes people will decide to, to do, to help do rescue work. And one of the things they'll sometimes do is go with advanced beings into the lower levels because people who have just been um, on earth, especially for some reason, uh, females, but I think men as well, um, they'll often be easy, easier for the, the people in the lowest level to perceive and they can often talk to them. But it, you can be there for a very long time and the, the torments are horrendous. Um, there's one story I read somewhere, but it, and I'll tell it to you when I say it in The Fun of Dying. I've only seen it once. Almost everything I tell you I've seen more than once. But this is such a, such a perfect example of what it's like there that I'll tell this story to you. Um, one, of the, one of the rumors is that uh, Hitler didn't condemn himself to the bottom level, but many of the guards at the concentration camps did, and they have put themselves into horrendous torments. Someone described a box into which one of these guards had locked himself, and he could, nobody knows why, but he was screaming and screaming from inside this box. And all around him, day and night, are his rescuers pleading with him, everybody's forgiven you, you've got to forgive yourself, you're loved, you're cared about, let us take care of you. They're pleading with him to forgive himself. Okay, a bonus point if you know who those rescuers are. That's right. The people he killed, the people he tortured, the people he victimized when he was a guard are the ones who are trying to, to save him from himself. That's what it's like there. That's the, that's the depth of love and forgiveness there is in the Summerland levels. And in the levels, actually, all the levels of the afterlife. Totally different game there. So I guess I would urge you to start playing that game now because this is a very, very brief sojourn and that's the game you're going to be playing for eternity. So, all right, we're back right after you've sort of arrived and, and you've, you've forgiven yourself. Yeah, I, I was bad, but you're surrounded by people who love you and say, you know, you're going to have more chances and that's, that was not such a bad life and look at the good things you did. So you forgive yourself. The next thing that happens, or it happened just before the judgment, I, I think it, there's not a rule, is a party. A party. What are the odds? They play. And often people eat at these parties and drink. Be, but even though we, we don't have internal organs, any food or drink that we ingest disappears. Um, but party means food to us when we've just crossed over. So party with food is what you get. Um, often there's, there's entertainment and it's always live. Um, a lot of music there. One of the things that, that we will uh, will do there is attend a lot of concerts. Now, the people I was reading in the early part of the 20th century, what they wanted was symphonies. And they would they would go to hear Mozart, what he, what he had put together before death, and also what he had composed after death. They got to hear his really newest pieces. Um, they tell us our ears are much better there. Our eyesight is extraordinary there. And it's panoramic we can see all around our heads not just out the front um but the the music is so beautiful that it actually forms colored shapes above uh the orchestra once the orchestra gets playing but this is your party you want a chamber chamber concert so you'll have chamber musicians playing people will come oh but maybe not Maybe you'd rather have Elvis. Well, one of the biggest performers apparently in the afterlife levels is Elvis. Bless his heart. 
Um, he, he, it is said, actually has could advance above level three, but he has said he's going to stay there and keep performing till everybody who was his fan in life has, has died. Now, those, those fans are probably in their 50s or, or older, so I don't know much longer he's going to be doing this. But if you want him, the king will come, apparently, and play for your, for your loved ones. And I guess you could have early Elvis, late Elvis, or in between Elvis. I don't know. But um, the, the, na- the three names I've heard performing, and I'm sure they all do, probably most of them, but John Lennon, Frank Sinatra, and Elvis Presley are apparently three that I've, uh, I've heard are commonly performing there and enjoying it, and people are enjoying them. What will happen at your party is people that knew you in life will know. I mean, it's sort of as if you have a billboard in your head or a, or a, a, a I can't think of the word, but a, a, a Google calendar in your head or something. You'll know that someone you love has just transitioned and you'll think, I want to be at his party and you'll be right there. And one of the things that astonishes the dead is that some of the people that they realize are truly people they love very much had horrible, horrible roles in that most recent lifetime. I mean, the, the guy at work who made them crazy and eventually got them fired will fall into their arms laughing because it was all a play. They're very close eternal friends. They were doing that for one another as an opportunity for their mutual spiritual growth. Um, this is something that shocks and amazes and actually delights the dead, so they talk about it uh, when we interview them. But um, you can assume that people that are close to you in life for good or ill are probably part of your soul group and are probably close eternal friends. And uh, if you think you don't like them now, you'll love them afterwards. So you may as well try to, you know, make your life with them a little more comfortable now. Forgive, forgive, forgive. That's what this is all about. And everything, the Course in Miracles says, everything that happens is either love or a call for love. And that's true. So, of course, no matter what happens, love is the only possible answer. After the party... And after the judgment comes an indefinite period of fun. There are all kinds of fun that the dead get involved in. Um, it's hard to even uh, you know, catalog all of them. What is it that you most enjoy doing? Um, it's there. At the turn of the previous century, people were doing a lot of needlework. They were learning to play instruments. Um, Mozart was teaching piano. I mean, they were. our minds are so much better when we're there that we um, can learn a musical instrument quite easily, for example. In fact, young prodigies are probably people who learned there and, and semi-remembered uh, and learned easily here. One of the things people do there is research their previous lives. Um, yes, there's reincarnation, but no, it's not the way we think it is because there's no such ta- thing as time, objectively. So they tell us, not to think of it as linear. Reincarnation is going on simultaneously. Our lives are all simultaneous, the past ones and the future ones. And we can study them in great libraries. People like to do that. Um, because people, one thing people will ask me is, can you remember all your lives? What we, when we ask the dead that question, they say, if you've had one or two really important lives in terms of your own spiritual growth, you'll remember those. The others you'll remember once you, once you research them. It'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Some people really are into that. Some people are into doing all kinds of other study, and whatever you want to study is available for you. Um, people take courses. Uh, people from the teaching plane will come down to um, teach courses in advanced love and forgiveness, and we're eager to learn it because we want to get where they are. 
it's it's uh there's no hurry to it uh the sense you get talking to the dead is that they they understand that uh uh this is they have an eternity to do it but on the other hand they admire very much the people who have um gone through um whatever many lives they've gone through and have achieved the kind of development that will get them to the fifth or sixth level your body there is so completely different. Reality is so different. Um, one of the things we do is travel, and I'm going to talk about that when we come back. This is Roberta Grimes, Contact Talk Radio Network, and we're talking about your eternal life. Stay with us. If you'd like to talk about some of the things that are discussed on Seek Reality Radio, come and join the welcoming community at afterlifeforums.com. Roberta and Andrew manage afterlife forums in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. If you are very ill, if you have lost a loved one, or if you just wonder about these topics, come and join the fun at afterlifeforums.com. When she was eight, Roberta Grimes had an amazing experience of light. She spent the next 50 years researching the afterlife to try and understand what had happened to her. And the result is her book, The Fun of Dying. Find out what really happens next. Roberta's book is Cliff Notes to 200 Years of Abundant and Consistent Afterlife Evidence. It will show you why extinction is impossible for you, explain how you can enjoy the death process, and describe for you in wonderful detail the glorious heaven that awaits us all. Available on Amazon in Kindle and in print, The Fun of Dying will start you on a thrilling and life-affirming voyage as you learn the glorious truth about who you really are. I'm Roberta Grimes. You're listening to Seek Reality on the Contact Talk Radio Network. And a core of your reality is the fact that you're going to die out of this lifetime. We, it's a, the death rate is 100%. So if that's the case, it's kind of important, don't you think, for us to know where we're going next? And the fact is, we can know that. It's not something we need to worry about believing about or, you know, uh, that we don't have to play the religious lottery. Is Catholic going to work? Protestant? Do I need to be something else altogether? We don't have to play those games because we have nearly 200 years of abundant and consistent afterlife communications from people who know because they're there. And they wanted to make us know not only that they're okay, they're, they want to let their relatives and friends know that they're okay, but golly, they want to ease our minds. I think that we weren't supposed to know all of this at one point, um, but I think that an effort is being made now to open our minds so that we do know it. And we can talk, um, when we talk more about what reality is, we can talk about why uh, it is that um, we weren't supposed to know now, but we are supposed to know. Uh, we weren't supposed to know before, but we are supposed to know now. We could talk about that. But the reality is, it seems to be the time when we're supposed to get this information out to the world. 
one of the things that people ask me about, now I'll talk about travel in a minute. One of the things people ask me about is, what about our pets? Interestingly, every animal, all animals have soul groups. Um, wild animals do, farm animals do, um, of similar kinds of animals. It's a different kind of spirituality, a different kind of spirit than you and I are. But if a human being has loved an animal, that animal develops an independent existence and is waiting for you in the summer land. Every animal you've ever loved is waiting for you there. Isn't that, I mean, sort of, when you, when you realize that, it's sort of like, oh my goodness, we get all this stuff and that too? Isn't that wonderful? Um, sometimes it's a nuisance because if you've had a lot of dogs and cats, people who love you sometimes complain to us that they can't get to you because you've got to first pat all those animals. They're all young. They're all healthy. They don't eat. They don't eliminate. You don't have to take them for a walk. And they, they communicate with you in ways that make you realize that they're much more aware than your dog or cat seems to be here. Um, I have a beloved horse. I owned him his entire life. He died a couple of years ago. And I've already had a communication dream from him. I know he's waiting for me. I will ride again. I won't ride till I ride him. But that's the joy. Those are all the kinds of joys that are ahead of us. There don't seem to be insects there other than dragonflies and butterflies. There don't seem to be non-pet animals other than um, perhaps birds. Uh, they talk about birds. Maybe other small animals too, although mainly birds. Our eyesight is so good. Not only is it panoramic, but we can see uh, one, one fellow uh, in the early part of the 20th century talking to his family. He had been almost blind at death. And he said to his family, I'll tell you what I can see. Where I am standing right now, I can see about, looks like 50 miles away, there's a mountain. In the foothills of that mountain are green trees all over the foothills. I can see each individual leaf on each of those trees. He was so proud of that. But others tell us, my goodness, your eyesight there is so much better. It's called mind sight. And, the, and people who are alive but in bodies that, whose eyes don't work also have mind sight even now. If they have near-death experiences, some of them talk about seeing for the first time and how astonishing that is to them, what sight is. But everybody has sight in the afterlife. Everybody has a healthy body. Everybody is healthy in the afterlife. Um, People who can, are convinced that they're not healthy, they're worried, they're, they still think they're crippled in some way, believe it or not, they get surgery at, when they cross over. Um, they're, they're put through what it looks like surgery to them so that they can be convinced by what look like doctors that, they're, yes, their arm does work, and yes, we sewed on your leg, now it's fine. Whatever they have to do to convince you that you're whole and healthy, they'll do because the body you have there is created by your mind. And that being the case, if you are convinced you're crippled in some way, you're going to cre create a crippled body. You don't have to have that crippled body. They'll help you understand that you're whole uh, and you're healthy, which is, again, um, just love. Nothing but love and support and kindness to us there. It's just, even in the lowest level, the whole, all the torments are yours. You torment yourself. There is nobody tormenting you um, that, that uh, comes from God or is related to God. It's nothing but perfect love god the people who are closest to god who have, have achieved that level are are loved beyond anything you can possibly imagine and that love is all aimed at you when you first arrive and actually i guess forever after but you can be in this period for as long as you like and one thing that a lot of people like to do is travel it's travel is by mind it's instantaneous and you can do what amounts to time travel i used to think they time traveled on earth 
But I came to understand after a time that because there is no time there, all the realities that people have lived in during historical time on Earth still exist there. So when you, for example, go to ancient Egypt, you're not going to an earthly ancient Egypt. You're going to the summerland of the, of the ancient Egyptians and helping them build a pyramid. You're, you're not going to, and this is a common uh, destination. A lot of people like to go and visit the Plains Indians w- surrounded by you know millions of buffalo, uh, teepees, all of that. Wonderfully spiritual people. In fact, so spiritual that apparently they are um, entrusted with trying to help people who have been very, very damaged on Earth in other periods. They're brought to the, the Plains Indian Summerland to be, to be nursed back spiritually to health. But um, we travel to all these places. We can travel to the Summerlands of other planets. Um, we can, and very different in some cases, planets than, than ours. People who like to travel love the experiences that they can have going to the edge of the end of the universe. You can be there in a thought. It's instant. You can talk to anybody you like there. All of our communication is telepathic, but that doesn't mean people are reading your mind. There's a process apparently that we learn which packages a thought and throws it to a person's mind. It's as if we spoke to him. He hears us in his language. We hear him in our language. So you want to talk to someone who uh, talked to an ancient Egyptian about what his, you know, what his life was like here, you could do it. I mean, you could have any of these experiences if you choose them. But there's no rule. There's no judgment about what you're wanting to do something else. If you just want to lie around, you can do that too. Since there is no time, there's no deadline for doing anything in the Summerland levels. What, what people usually find is they go through a period, or so they tell us, they go through a period of just R&R playtime, being thrilled with how much how possible everything is, being with people again that they thought they'd never see again, joy, happiness, going to all those Elvis and Frank Sinatra concerts, just having fun. But after a bit, they start to think, you know, it might be nice to be able to wear the cape. Uh, by the way, people who come from the sixth level, uh, at least this was true 100 years ago, often wear what their the, the spirit clothes they wear are more elaborate people can see physically and can know that they're they're a more advanced being the body we have there is just like our body it the material aspects of it but we it's it's created by our mind we usually choose to lo- look about the way we looked in this lifetime when we were maybe 30 years old but if we want to look older so that people will recognize us more easily or if we want to appear to people on earth, which is sometimes possible, we can look older if we like. It's however our body, however we choose to have our body look. It's made of a different fabric, a different material than our present bodies, of course. Um, I think of it almost as colored alabaster. It isn't transparent, but it's somewhat translucent. People tell us it doesn't bother us, bother them. Um, it doesn't. It seems to have the ability to transmit energy through the body without blood vessels and nerves. Um, it's just. Uh, it, it's. It's. What we have here is basically an imperfect replica of the body that we have there. Um, what happens to children? That's something else that's important, I think, to talk about. If there's any royalty in the afterlife evidence, it's people who die as children. Um, very often, by the way, people who die. Uh, when their teenagers are younger, are extremely advanced beings, and they plan that death as a gift to their families, believe it or not, as a, as a growth opportunity. When these people die, they go to 
special homes, special villages, and they're loved and they're cared for so perfectly. They usually grow up in just a few years. They're, they develop an adult body and, and they grow up, but they do grow up there. Miscarried infants grow up there. Aborted fetuses grow up there. A woman who has had three abortions, when she arrives in the Summerland, will find three beautiful young people who will call her mom. Knowing that, I cannot imagine that anybody, anybody would have an abortion because how on earth can you go through your life review? <laughs> how can you go through your life review knowing that, that uh, they were actually people after all? But they are. They're people apparently almost from the moment of conception, if not entirely from the moment of conception. Um, so to me, that changed. I wouldn't have had an abortion anyway, but boy, when I started understanding that, I said, hey, you know, it isn't worth it. And apparently these young people who were aborted are perfectly happy young adults and they don't blame you. You just blame yourself. And that's all you need. That's the only problem you need to have on top of all the other things from your life is realizing that the people that you aborted were people after all. So you're having fun. You're traveling. You're enjoying your life. Everything is great. And Maybe you're doing rescue work, too. People can do rescue work there under the tutelage and guidance of more advanced beings, both on Earth, trying to, and next week we'll be talking about some of the ways people can go off track and need to be rescued. Um, we'll be talking uh, with our Craig Hogan, who is more interested in all, that, all the bad stuff than I am. I only want to know the good things. Um, but there are people who need to be rescued, and eventually everybody will be. But if you go off track, you can be off track for a while. Some people tell us they really get a lot of satisfaction out of doing rescue work, going to what are hollow habitants. A cloud with nothing on it but, but empty gates and people wandering around because that's where they thought they'd end up uh, at death and that's where they put themselves. Going and try to talking them out of the idea that that's heaven, that isn't heaven, but come with me and I'll, I'll take you to where heaven is. That can be fun. But ultimately, what we all want to do, what we more and more crave to do, is to become uh, a more advanced being ourselves. That opportunity is open to all of us. There's always, always someone trying to help us, to nurture us, to, to help us to grow. It's harder there to make spiritual progress. They tell us it's almost impossible because it's sort of like trying to fix your, make your muscles stronger when you don't have any uh, gym apparatus. The problems that happen to us in this lifetime, that's our gym apparatus. That's how we strengthen our spiritual muscles. So now's the opportunity to get to the highest possible level of the afterlife that you can. Sometimes what people begin to do um, sooner rather than later, realizing that you can't make much progress there because it's just life is too easy, they'll begin to plan a different lifetime. Um, that might be a lifetime actually apparently before or after the one that they've just lived. They plan it with their, their loved ones around them and they try to plan in as many problems as possible. So blame yourself if you're having troubles in this life. You plan those as opportunities for spiritual growth. Take advantage of them. Grow from them. Understand that all you're doing now is strengthening your spiritual muscles because the day will come when you transition and you're going to get to enjoy the fruits of all the hard work you did on making yourself into a better, more loving, more forgiving, more perfect human being. A lot of people tell me that they, don't, they won't do another lifetime. This is going to be their last. I don't know whether that's an option. 
But I do know that after people have spent a little time in the summerland, they do begin to crave spiritual growth. Spiritual growth happens primarily on the earth. And so sooner or later, whether they like it or not, they swallow hard. They say, okay, I'm going to plan a tough life because if I have a really tough life and learn a lot in that one, maybe that can be my last one. That seems to be what's going on. Um, But you've got to think always on this much larger plane, this larger reality, because it's in that reality that you live. Right now, you're living in the same reality you'll always inhabit eternally. You're in this a little illusion around you. Your mind thinks it's at the material level. It's just an illusion. The bad things that happen to you here are really just illusion, except that they're, because you think they're real, they're opportunities for you to become a better human being, to learn to love, to learn to forgive, because those are the really the reasons why we're here. That's apparently, from all we can tell, that's the reason why the universe exists at all, as your opportunity to learn to love and to learn to forgive. I'm trying to think if there's anything I've missed. If there is, I'll try to, to we'll, we'll revisit this uh, in another segment of the program because uh, there's more to talk about about the fun you can have and the things that uh, uh, that people tell us. Uh, it's, it's just the biggest joy you can possibly imagine that awaits you when you die. But for now, I'm Roberta Grimes. My book, The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next, is available on Amazon.com in Kindle and print and also on Barnes & Noble as an e-book. It'll tell you essentially all of this and more. So if you're interested, um, you know, please do check out my book. Join us next week. R. Craig Hogan, who is an expert in all these things, uh, is going to be telling us the bad news. Gowlies and ghosties and long-leggedy beasties and things that go bump in the night, what they are, where they come from, what they can do, and most importantly, how you can protect yourself from them while they're on Earth. So please join us next week. And meanwhile, visit us at afterlifeforums.com and join the discussion. And now, go out, enjoy, make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are an eternal being and you are always perfectly loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes, joyous conversations about your eternal life. To learn more, tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. For lively and positive discussions, visit www.afterlifeforums.com. To contact Roberta, email her at roberta at seekreality.com. Wishing you a productive week empowered by the truth of who you really are.